guys, I'm Danny. And I'm Molly. And this is Black Chicklet. And today we are joined with a very by a very special guest. Is it joined by or joined with? I don't care. Joined by a very special guest, Ms. Talia Hibbert. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, I got some little just to preface, just so everyone knows who we're dealing with here. Talia Hibbert is a rising star in diverse romance. She's been a champion for a number of underrepresented communities in her writing, included the disabled, neurodiverse, and ethnically diverse communities. Um, they all get happy endings in her stories. Not only is she herself a strong supporter of diverse and own voices content, she knows she stands upon the shoulders of giants and always pays respects to the writers who came before her. And we love to see it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was lovely. I <laughs> I just love that whole line. Um, oh, and this is the part that made me feel especially hurt. Um, she's already a prolific author at age 24, writing her way through university, and since then has amassed a cult following with good reason. She's also <laughs> writing through chronic pain, diagnosed with Elner's Del- Danlos, I don't know if I pronounced that right, and fibromyalgia. <laughs> and while these conditions are a challenge, she works through them with true grace and professionalism. So Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm just thinking I should make notes about everything you just said so I can always say that about myself in the future. <laughs> Introducing me. <laughs> well, I loved it. I was like, ooh, because I mean, like, I think I've been reading you since you were indie. And like, that is one thing I've noticed. I just love how diverse and happy and funny we can get to that. I, mm-hmm. I don't laugh out loud often at books, but like with this and Chloe Brown, like I was, that's what I need. Mm-hmm. So, Yay. so especially right now. Yeah. So you, I'm trying to feel like, I don't want to like get too marky, but like you have a book that just was released. Yes. Um, take a hint, Danny Brown. And I loved it. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> she, one, she has my name. Two, <laughs> it was genuinely funny. So I loved it. Well, thank you so much. I'm just so, it makes me so happy when people, okay, this sounds so silly and basic, but it makes me so happy when people enjoy the book. Obviously, that's my main hope is that people enjoy the book. But when they say it, I'm like, really? Oh my God. (laughs) We all like to hear good things about ourselves. So I I didn't know you were only 24. And now I'm feeling some way about myself and what I've been doing. Oh my god, no. Like, I mean, I feel all right, but my knees hurt. <laughs> if it helps, my knees really hurt as well. <laughs> well like, my big thing is I can't eat garlic anymore because I have like the most middle-aged of conditions, like acid reflux. Mm-hmm. And like if I eat garlic, it makes it worse. Oh, no. And I was like, well, well, this is it. This is the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> It's like no more garlic. So, so I was, so let's, um, can you tell us how you got, I was listening to your interview on heaving bosoms and like your really sweet story about your grandmother. And I was wondering if you could tell us like how you sort of got into writing and what made you want to become an author. Um, I've always, always wanted to be an author just because I've always been a bookworm. And I think like how a lot of authors start out is they just really love books and they're like, I want to do that. Um, but I didn't really think it would happen. It was sort of like how some kids are like, oh, I'm going to be a pop star, but you know you're not going to. (laughs) That was me in writing. (laughs) 
Um, but then while I was at university, like a lot of things sort of coincided to push me into taking this leap. So I was approaching my last year at uni and I knew that I needed a job mm-hmm. and I have a disability and I had worked before and I had experience of just people say, you know, we're accommodating to disabilities, but they're lying. Uh-huh. They are lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I knew I needed to sort something out. Um, and then my grandmother did pass away and I suppose it just really made me reevaluate my life and she used to say to me obviously when she was alive she would say you need to do this you need to do that and her favorite thing to say was book up and get on with it girl (laughs) and every time I was nervous about something she'd be like but you don't need to be nervous and I never really listened to her while she was alive but as is often the case once she passed away I was like I need to be brave for grandma's memory blah 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 so (laughs) Um, and I was fortunate that she left me some money so it was a bit like well I now have the inspiration I have the money to try something and potentially fail and it won't ruin my life so Mm -hmm. I decided to just give it a go that's pretty cool what was your first because I've read some of your stuff but I'm not gonna lie when it comes to authors backlist and the order (laughs) I have no idea so what was your first like you published title um so my first book is actually not available anymore um because well it was called always with you and it was honestly just something that I wrote to prove to myself that I could finish a story um and it was like less than 20,000 words it was very short and I wrote it to prove that I could I published it because I was excited that I'd written it and it didn't sell anything (laughs) which was fine It was such a fun process and I found it so fulfilling that even though I quite literally had one sale, I made like 98 (laughs) cents, I was like, I'm going to write another one. So um, I wrote another short book called Operation Atonement and I've recently taken that off the market too because I reread it for the first time in a couple of years and I was like, this is a bit wank. So I got (laughs) a bit. (laughs) But those are my initial books. So both of them are, okay. Oh, yeah, they go, yeah, you're not missing out. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Danielle's heartbreaking through the Because <laughs> I think I read, an, and oh my gosh, I'm going to embarrass myself because I remember, can't remember the title. You were my, I did read, like, the first paranormal romance I read was one of yours. And it was something about I the Huntress. The Huntress. Yeah, yes, that was genuinely <laughs> funny. And, like, it's a Halloween-y one. Yeah. And like, I genuinely enjoyed it. And then you had, I think it wasn't Bet Me. Did I make that up? It was Bet. Bet Oh, yes. It isn't also a romance. It's just not mine. It's a pretty (laughs) sick book. (laughs) So, yeah. So I was like, I need to catch up and read more of like the indie stuff. And I just, it's been a year. So my (laughs) reading period has been really bad. Um, I I told Molly I had, and I like what you said about starting small, because I had an idea for a romance, and I was journaling about it, but it's too big, so Mm. I've got to shelve it. Yeah, (laughs) that's totally, like, I do that. I've got, like, um, an idea that I've written down, but when I look at it, I'm like, I'm not ready for this yet. I need to get better (laughs) before I attempt this. This one has time travel in it, and I'm like, girl, you're not there yet. You can't be. (laughs) Wait, time travel? Yeah, I told you this. No. (laughs) 
we could talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, like it would involve like so much research because of history, and I'm like, I can't, I can't. That's mm-hmm. I can't, I can't go down that path. So I shelved it. I gotta figure something out. <laughs> so yeah, I told you, Molly. You'll remember when I tell you. So um, because one thing I like, you were traditionally no, you were indie published for the majority of your career, and then you just recently got traditionally published, correct? Yeah, that's right. What's that switch been like? Um, it's definitely been different um, because when I'm kind of indie publishing, I do my best, but I am only the woman I am. So I tend to throw things out and hope for the best <laughs> and everything's a bit pear-shaped because I'm not like a master marketer and I don't know a lot. I'm good at writing the books, but the rest of it, I'm just kind of winging it. Um, whereas working with an actual publisher, they are so competent and it's a real shock to the system to have everything organized and official. What was maybe one of the biggest, like, oh, I've made it big time now (laughs) moving from indie to, you know, having a team behind you? Um, the whole thing, like, I don't feel like I've quote unquote made it because (laughs) I find it so surprising when people you know, like when um, when we started talking just now and you were like, oh, it's so intimidating to interview authors. And I was like, who, me? I'm, I'm a capital A author? Are you sure? <laughs> you are, girl. Claim it. I got your book sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird. So, But it just, it does feel very strange, for example, that the books have like a publicist. So mm-hmm. when people reach out to me, they're like, oh, I was talking to your publicist. And I'm like, my who? <laughs> <laughs> Should I have one of those? That sounds wrong. But <laughs> it's great to have so much help. It's getting, I'm getting used to it. And it's, it's amazing. So, and when you're in traditional, do you still, and I guess this is a question I've always had, how much involvement do you get in some of those other areas? Because when it's indie, you can control, like, the cover art. You can control, Mm -hmm. I guess maybe cover art is the extent I'm thinking of, some distribution, like the rights, where it is. Whereas Mm -hmm. when you're, like, with Avon, do you have a say in the cover art? Do they sort of show you mock-ups, or do you get to be a part of the process at all, I guess? Yeah. Well, the question. It can vary based on kind of how you and your agent sort out the contract. Um, But I think it was quite important to me to have as much say as possible, purely because I wanted to make sure that my characters were represented accurately on the cover. And Mm -hmm. you do hear like horror stories of like, you're writing about black people and the people on your covers look white. And so I didn't Mm -hmm. want that to happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So how it happened is I kind of showed them examples of covers that I liked and showed them pictures of people who looked how I imagined the characters to look and things like that. And then they discussed it with their marketing team and they came up with like, they knew what style, et cetera, they were going to do, but they come up with different color combinations and character poses and stuff like that. Um, And we kind of collaborate on that. But then at the same time, if they decide that they want to go in a completely new direction, they can also do that. And I don't really have a say. But um, so it's a good balance, though, because like I said, I'm actually not that great at marketing. And like my cover decisions and things like that aren't always the best for selling books, mm-hmm. whereas obviously they actually know what they're doing. So I should really just be quiet and let them do it. <laughs> well, and, and you sort of touched on why I asked, because I've heard some real horror stories about mm. characters with 
or booked covers where you have diverse characters, but then the cover comes out and it's like, oh, you wouldn't know it by looking at the stock yeah. images or the illustrations on the cover of this book. Mm-hmm. So, and people get mad at the author and I'm like, well, is it the author that you should be blaming or is it? Yeah. So. Usually it's not at all the author that you should be blaming. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, so I watch Love Between the Covers. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a documentary about like the romance novel industry made like maybe 10 years ago. And that's one of the things they sort of talk about is like, it seems a lot of authors that whole, everything besides the writing is a real big, for different authors, of course, I'm generalizing, but everything besides the writing, it's a, it's like a, not a burden, but it's a real big task on them. It's a lot to handle. It's a lot to manage. And I get it. Cause like you said, when you want to, when you become a writer, you really just think about, Oh, I like reading. I like books. I want to write books. Mm-hmm. You don't think, Oh, I want to put together marketing copy and schedule social media posts and I mean, budget. some authors do think like that, and they're the ones who are, like, killing the indie game. You can tell the ones who are like, I want to track my budgets, because they're actually <laughs> making money. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like, like, selling your books, like, indie by yourself? Like, I remember when I was a kid, you know, my mom, my aunt's, like, buying copies of people's books, like, out of the back of the car. Mm. <laughs> so, I imagine it's a little more sophisticated. It's the case, you think? I mean, I don't have a car, so if that was still the method, <laughs> I'd be screwed. <laughs> um, I think, basically, because it was ebook publishing that really made it a lot more viable for people to be indie authors, I think. And that was, like, one of the reasons why I was like, oh, maybe I can become an author, because... It never occurred to me that I could be traditionally published because I knew I wanted to write about characters who looked like me and that didn't seem very popular when I was growing up. But Mm -hmm. I was reading other indie romance authors who were writing the kind of thing that I would want to write and I was like, well, look, they're able to do it because all they have to do is write the book, put it online, you know, use all these distribution options that computers kind of do for you and their book is out there in the world. So because of those kind of modern methods, it was a lot easier for me to take the plunge. I just had to sit in my bedroom on my laptop and press some buttons. Um, I mean, it is a lot more complicated than that if you're doing it well and being savvy, but maybe I'm not super savvy, so I'm just pressing buttons. (laughs) I mean, you you did it because now you're with Avod and I've heard so many good things. Like everything I, whenever I hear people talking about either this or Chloe Brown, it's positive. Like... So you're you're making it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I love what she said, and I kind of wanted to go back to this about you didn't feel like you could be traditionally published because you wanted to write romance um, that featured people like you that look like you. Yeah. And I just want to go back to that and hear like because I, I've I've read this um, and I also read. Let me get the name of it. A Girl Like Her. So those are the two that I've read. Daniel's, I'm the romance newbie. But it really struck me, like, the representation of the in the books. I'd love to hear more about that journey. Well, you know, when I was growing up, I was looking for romance at my local library. And I live in a very small, very white town. So all the romances were super white um, and they were mostly historical as well which tends to be quite a white genre anyway and it was limited Um, so then as I got older and I started reading on my kindle 
that was genuinely the first time that I stumbled across romances that were a bit different. And it then, only then did it occur to me, oh, I can probably search for diverse romance and it probably will be out there somewhere. Um, it never, I never really thought of like going online and being friends with romance readers on Twitter or Facebook because I never thought that you could do that. Um, so I was really kind of stumbling around on my own, relying on like Amazon's algorithms. Um, but when I did find authors who were writing the stuff that I felt like I'd always been looking for, every time I checked, it seemed like the books were indie published. Hmm. So that kind of didn't, it didn't change my mind from what I'd already assumed, which was that publishing was very white and very straight and very able-bodied. Um, and it really took me like working in romance and therefore setting up social media presence and networking with other people in the industry, whether they're writers or you know, in publishing or their readers, to realise that there are people like, for example, Beverly Jenkins, who have been publishing diverse romance for years. And that was kind of the first time it clicked in like 2018, 2019, that, oh, this is happening and it's growing and it's possible. But before that, no, I really didn't think that I could do it. So I was just writing my own little characters and hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of heartbreaking to hear because then you think like how many other women are out there who would want to write and want to be published but feel you know sort of defeated before they even get started because they don't think anyone wants to read their work well yeah. hopefully they'll be seeing you know covers and books yeah. like Danny mm. Brown and thinking maybe I can like that's yeah. my hope that they would <laughs> I really do feel like it's changed so much in the last two to three years alone and um, obviously it could be that I was quite young when I was getting into all this as well and therefore I hadn't really been around and seen a lot of things but to me it really I wasn't seeing the diversity that I know there is and it is getting a lot more publicity now so I just hope that other people aren't in that situation mm -hmm. yeah I was just gonna say it touches on a point it's not just the publishing it's like when you go to a Barnes and Noble what's mm. on what's on the shelves what are they showing exactly yeah like, that's our origin story, the <laughs> bookstore, and all the romance was Amish romance. Oh <laughs> the little like a micro population of the U.S. So many. Um, and sort of tying into that, you're unique in that you're both a Black author and a British author, so you can speak to both. And I was sitting here trying to think, for all the books that take place and, like, with all these dukes and members of the peerage and, you know, seasons in London... There aren't a lot of British authors writing romance either. It's like all these American women coming in writing these <laughs> historicals. I have had to have, like, I've had to search for other Brits. I did join the <laughs> British Romance Novelists Association. So now when it's when we're not in a pandemic, I meet up with some other local writers on like the third Friday of every month and we hang out. And that's been so much fun. Um and then also there is KJ Charles, who is white, but she's oh, yeah. British and she writes historicals. And it was just a lot of fun to read them from someone who uses like slang that I know of and would use that maybe Americans wouldn't know because they just don't hear it. So that's nice. <laughs> Side note, a lot of the characters in this book use Reckon and it blew my mind. Really? I didn't know they used Reckon in the UK. It feels... you, you don't say that? We no, we do, but it's a very certain. It's like a portion of the country that does, and it's like southern and or country. Yeah, oh, it's a real black country. <laughs> like, 
Like, I reckon the fish are biting this morning. Like, it's a very strong, like, regionalism. So when I read the book and, like, Zaf says reckon a couple times, I was like, oh, okay then. No, it's pretty normal to say over here. Everyone says it. (laughs) (laughs) So, and and it was just cool to see. And, like, yeah. So that's why I think before this, I think the only other Black British author I had read was, I don't know her name. She wrote Queenie. And her name escapes me. But, um... I do know who you mean. I actually follow her, but of course, because I want to know her name, I also can't remember it, <laughs> which I now feel terrible about. <laughs> Cardi Williams. Candace Cardi Williams. There we go. Yes. Yeah. So that was like, and I was like, it was cool to get that experience because that book talks a lot about like her Jamaican family, the gentrification in the neighborhood. And it was mm-hmm. cool to read about social issues impacting communities of color in the mm-hmm. UK. There's also um, a book coming out called Love in Colour by Bolu Babalola, who is British-Nigerian. And um, that's more like an anthology of like love stories inspired by mythology around the world. Um, and I'm really excited for that one. So that's another one to add to the list. Awesome. Colour with a U. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> so I guess we could delve into the book talk. About because we read this is uh, this is a weird hybrid of a book episode and a author chat. So that's okay. We're we're rolling with it. So we read Take a Hit, Danny Brown, which is the second of the Brown Sister series after the first one being Get a Life, Chloe Brown, which I read last year. That was really cute. Um, this one was cute too. I don't know why I said it like that. They're both very cute. <laughs> I loved them. Um, what I really liked about this one because it uses one of my favorite tropes, which is fake romance fake relationship I mean mm-hmm. and especially that one where like both are pining and neither knows it like I am here <laughs> for that <laughs> so I loved it but I was gonna say while I was reading this you know several times I would like laugh out loud or I'd yeah. turn to my husband I'd be like this book is so funny or I'd be <laughs> like "Ooh, this book is spicy and I'd have and he was like he's like spicy I want to see it and then he'd be like reading it out loud <laughs> the whole thing. so he, we both enjoyed it quite a bit <laughs> I think writing comedy is hard, especially if like someone like you mm-hmm. gotta trust that your reader has like the comedic timing and or like the comedic voice to like maybe read it the way you intend it. Yeah. It was definitely like it was it was definitely something that I just had to be confident about, even if I wasn't feeling confident. Because you have to get on with it or you dither over every word forever. <laughs> I think the one that got me was, I think, the, oh, what was the scene where she spits up the noodles on him in the middle of the cafeteria? I, like, <laughs> laughed for five minutes. And I've never done that, like, in a book. Just laughed that hard before. Oh, my God. That's so lovely because I'm actually, I'm not very funny in real life. So when I decided to write a rom-com, I was like, what are you doing? Like, why have you done this to yourself? But really? Thing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was very funny. It was very like sitcom-y almost, or like yeah. like you said, rom com. <laughs> Can I ask you like a publishing question? Yeah, Is of there like a big categorical or I don't even know if that's a word genre difference between if you're saying I'm going to write a romance versus I'm going to write a rom com? Because um, that's thing. It seems. <laughs> I feel like rom coms kind of went out of style for a little bit in like the early 2010s and then they came back in a 
big, big, big way. And they've become very much like a buzzword now. And obviously they've kick-started the uh, cartoon cover trend in the US that has kind of bled into other romance publishing. Um, but I feel like if you say these days that you want to write a rom-com, you're not just saying that you want to write something funny, you're saying that you want to write one of these uplifting, buzzy cartoon cover books, if you see what I mean. Um, I do feel like the meanings maybe changed a little bit. Yeah. Because I noticed when they sent it, they didn't call it a romance. They called it, like, in the marketing material they sent, they say rom-com exclusively. So I was wondering, huh, I wonder if this is a whole... Oh, I think it's also... Um, they've kind of used rom-coms with maybe the funnier voice. Some of them have more of a women's fiction leaning. Mm -hmm. There's more of a, a wider range of heat levels than there is in a lot of straight up romance. Yes. So they've kind of used it to bring in new romance readers who might typically look at a classic romance novel cover and think, oh, heaving bosoms. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're kind of lured in by the uh, chick lick look. Um, and then they are tricked into reading a romance novel and they're like, gasp, I'm enjoying this. What's going on? It's the gateway <laughs> drug. Exactly. That's why they're purely called rom-coms. So like the trap isn't ruined before it can begin. <laughs> yeah, because we read some Jasmine Guillory and like you can't look at the cover and tell because those were closed door. And this mm. one is very much not. So if you're <laughs> just going based on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It can be a bit tricky. I do feel bad about that, actually, because I know that there are some people... Well, there's two types of people. There's people like me who... I will read any kind of romance, but if I go and expect there to be a bit of shagging and there's not, I'm going to be like, oh, womp womp. <laughs> and then there's people who just want, like, some nice closed-door action, and then they're confronted with a book like mine where there's dicks and tits everywhere, and they're like, ah, protect my eyes. <laughs> so we need more warning. <laughs> the big shock for me was the kiss quotient because everyone was talking about it and it's got that cutesy cover and then I read and it no and it was one mentioned no. but it was so hot <laughs> I was, I was surprised like, oh, too <laughs> very steamy um, Molly is sort of new to romance and sometimes I feel like I've <laughs> let her in like locked her in this room where this is all people talk about oh, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just smiling and nodding <laughs> No, I did. There was one specific scene um, where Zaff is talking about um, Danny's tattoo. <laughs> and I remember, I just, I mean, I completely love that scene. And we actually did have a question about it. Um, and we've been saying around our house that a hickey on the butt is a bickey. Um, <laughs> So while I didn't expect, you know, kind of like the heat level, I think it still fit with kind of the the fun, light tone. Even though there are some heavier, like, um, topics in this, um, I never, like, I, I, I don't know, I just enjoyed it. And Daniel's turning me into a romance person. So like I said, Yay. I'm just sitting here smiling and nodding and thinking of new, <laughs> new slang. One of us, one of us. It was a multi-year process. I'm very proud. <laughs> Should I think, we talk about the characters in this book? Yes, I love them both. I gotta say, you really got me with Zaff. Like, that was mm -hmm. all the words. And I am notoriously known for not liking facial hair on this show. Really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. What? 
I got scolded by one Miss Beverly Jenkins because I was like, <laughs> everyone has beards. But this one, this one kind of did it for me. I was like, okay. Because she keeps talking about his mouth and his lips and the grumpy face and then like the beard there. I was like, I get it. I see it. It's working for me. <laughs> Love a bad. <laughs> I was like, I got booed by like Molly, Beverly Jenkins, and like all of our Twitter followers. So. And your mom too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You did. You did. You just need to come to the side of the light, Danielle. <laughs> I was told I was wrong by everyone, and I just had to own up to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I, I also love that he was like. So I work in like the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. um, and I love that he was such like a nonprofit person. Like I don't know if that's like a category of person, but I was like, I yes. know him. <laughs> He's like a soft giving person who just wants to help everyone. Non-profit person. It's definitely a category. <laughs> but with the grumpy facade, which makes the whole thing even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got to be grumpy and a cinnamon roll, which makes it just delightful. Mm-hmm. And I like that Danny Brown worked in higher ed because I work in higher ed. And it Do is. You? It is something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the politics. Oh so God. every time she was like stressing about her symposium and impressing people and working hard, like I felt that even though I don't do specifically what she does, I know people who do and it's a lot. Mm, I had to ask my friend who works in higher ed for kind of advice on that because I I have a degree, but I found it a really difficult experience. So I decided never to step foot in a university again. <laughs> so I had to ask her advice. <laughs> what was yeah. your major? Um, English and creative okay. writing, so oh. very boring, very dull. No, that was mine too, but I can no see solid. why you came out saying, I need a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was getting concerned about my portability. <laughs> that English lit life. I mean, it's more <laughs> impressive than journalism. Like. Is it though? Journalism is so like, I mean, now I sound like I'm saying that books aren't useful and they absolutely are, but journalism is so important to society, I think. I mean, it was. I don't know what's (laughs) happening. (laughs) So that's why Um, I went into marketing. (laughs) Right. Um, So we have Zaf and Danny, obviously. (laughs) We like her. I, I remember when this book came out, Danielle told me about it, and she was like, oh, she has my name. <laughs> There's like something very, like, little kid satisfying about seeing someone who has yeah. your name. Well, Ray, I, I have my name in books. It's annoying. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's kind of like trying to find your... I don't know if they had this um, in the UK. Or the nameplate things. The nameplate, Yes. I actually went, I went to Florida as a child um, and my mum was like, oh, let's get you one of these. And we looked and looked and looked and we could mm-hmm. not find one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a sad kind of hurt, especially if you have like a misspelled name like I do. <laughs> so I feel you there. But um, I, one thing that I really liked about um, Danny was um, like how analytical her mind was. And how she approached everything, like, with her sticky notes or her, um, you know, breaking things down. And I was like, oh, it's such such a different kind of character than I've seen in romance. Maybe, you know, again, I'm the newbie. But um, 
I I liked um, seeing that play out from her perspective. Mm-hmm. Was that, do you find like you're kind of more of a type A thinker like that or it was it easier or harder for you to write? I think characters like Danny are quite easy for me to write, not because I'm exactly like her, but because I am autistic and so my thought processes often kind of surprise people and my systems that I use to process things um, surprise people. So when I'm writing someone who is very like straightforward and systematic in how she thinks, even if it's different to me, it still comes more naturally than writing someone who might be considered more typical. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, lo- I love the contrast between the two. Um, I mean, just seeing how like focused she was mm. and then seeing um, Zaf kind of like, you know, getting thrown by <laughs> all the kids <laughs> in this program. I was like, oh, I just want them to be together. <laughs> Well, in her and her sisters, too, because Evie, who I assume the third book is going to be about, seems mm-hmm. very different from both Chloe and Danny. She seems a bit more, I don't want to say, I, I'm saying it, but I don't mean it in a negative way, flightier. Yeah. Um, maybe head in the clouds is a nicer way to say it. More of a dreamer. And so it is also fun to see those differences between her and her sisters, and yet they still sort of really understand and get each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I hope that that kind of comes up as a theme in Eve's book, you know, that she is, she's quite different to the rest of her family. Um, she's also different to a lot of the people around her and her hero is quite methodical as well. So that was something that they have to get through people kind of respecting that she does seem flighty, but she's got her own way of doing things. I, I loved all the scenes when they were together and they're like harassing Danny. <laughs> <laughs> just being sisters about it I was like it was a great <laughs> um let me see what else we have on the notes I had notes and then I just like said screw it oh we just start talking we did <laughs> one thing I really like in both books you've done is like and in a lot I've seen this a lot in romance lately it's just like the importance of like or not importance but like rep- the representation of like mental health and characters who are struggling with different aspects of mental health, and even with the relationship. So even if they do, you know, they get the guy at the end of the book, or I guess in this case it's Zaf, he gets the girl at the end of the book, but he still has issues that he'll always have to Mm. work through because, you know, dick and or sex doesn't fix you. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. I think, like, it's just because people are talking more and more about mental health, whereas it didn't really used to be something you could talk about, we're all realizing that we all have the same experiences and that like the whole magic sex trope really is nonsense. And so Mm -hmm. we're writing that reality into books more. And it's just cool to see also, because I feel like a lot of people are, especially now, are turning to romance as a way to deal with maybe their own, like, I can't read the news. I can't, Mm. I don't like going outside. You get on Twitter. It's like, oh, they're, they're putting Americans in unmarked cars in Portland. That's fun. There's mm-hmm. like just every time you turn around, it's some new disaster. So I'm like, let me go back and finish reading this book. Mm-hmm. And I do like that at least the book is like, it seems like it's actually like carrying some of that weight now. It's like, look, we know why you're here. Here's some, here's some help. <laughs> book therapy. Exactly. But yeah, so, and then. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, because I've been talking. I feel like I am monopolizing the conversation and I'm trying to reel it back. No, it's okay. Danielle is just very excited. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I we woke up at 4 a.m. So oh god, oh okay, little baby, that baby life. (laughs) But I was going to talk about the setting a little bit. So I heard you say that you grew up in a small, very white town, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm interested in like how you kind of navigate that experience um, in a setting where that's more diverse. Um, and, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought when I cut out, (laughs) but I'm just interested in like that transition and the importance of, um, the setting in the story. Yeah. Um, well, how it was for me is kind of as a kid, I was just raised in a very diverse kind of a diverse family and, I was surrounded by family friends and my godparents and you had people of all kind of ethnicities and you know most of the people in my life just weren't white I didn't see white people on a regular basis Um, and then when I was seven or eight we moved to the countryside and all I saw was white people on a regular basis Um, and I I had a lot of really negative experiences um, especially at school being one of like three black kids in the year group Um, And so when I was choosing where to go to university, I was like, I'm going to choose the blackest university (laughs) within traveling distance, which I did. And it just felt so great to not be a weirdo who was different to everyone else and who was made to feel different to everyone else in every room I entered. Um, So that was like a really great experience for me. And it's influenced when I'm writing my books, like my character's never feel like the odd ones out and they're never othered and that's just important for me that they have that because it makes me feel happier when I'm writing yeah Yeah. no it absolutely comes through I think one thing that um Danielle and I see frequently um is books where yes the main character is black but the world around them you know is completely white like their friends Mm -hmm. are white Mm -hmm their coworkers are white, there's, and not not even like non-black, but every other person around them is white. Um, and I feel like that's just not the world that I live in. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems, it's just, it's refreshing to see, because um, I'm in Los Angeles, which is super diverse. It's refreshing to see stories where there are multiple kinds of people and their cultures are you know, not, like you said, weird or not othered. It's just the uh, day-to-day experience that a lot of us live. Um, So I appreciated seeing that in this book. Like the princess and the frog. (laughs) Because you have this black character, but all her friends are like the rich white people in town. I'm like, come on, Disney. (laughs) Yeah, that was a weird one. (laughs) (laughs) Does it make sense? You, this is slightly off topic, but I have to ask because I'm like intensely curious now. So you said you were trying to find the blackest university. Do they have, so they have like HBCUs in the U.S. No. Did they have that? Did no, they, was we don't have segregation? that. Okay. Yeah. No, so essentially um, there's been migration to Britain from kind of all kinds of ethnic groups throughout mm-hmm. history, especially obviously because of colonialism. And so mm-hmm. you're in the Commonwealth and then say the Windrush, something like World War, World War II happens and the country is down on men and there's loads of craters in the ground and whatever. So they say, hey, people from the Commonwealth, come over here and help us build the country. And um, so that's kind of when my grandparents came on my father's side from Jamaica. And then, you know, you get these black communities, but 
obviously we're still a minority and mm-hmm. in the US the population is so big that a 13% black population is still big enough to create its own like major communities, universities, mm-hmm. districts whereas because the UK is so small we're not big enough to do things like HBCUs. But at the same time, you do have like areas where the demographic is just way more diverse. Um, So I went to the University of Leicester and Leicester is like one of the most ethnically diverse cities kind of in my region. Um, So that's why I decided to go there. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, the HBCUs are sort of a forced (laughs) thing. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like we didn't, I don't think we had like official segregation. It was more Mm -hmm. like if you come here, we will chase you away. (laughs) Fun. (laughs) Well, and one thing I wanted to ask, and like, sorry to take us off the books, but it's been on my mind. Like, you tweeted about it a lot, the Black Lives Matter movement in the UK and in Europe. I just think that's really fascinating to hear about. I just think it's really interesting to hear about Black experiences across the diaspora, basically. Like, what... Because I think people look at the U.S. and they say, oh, we don't have Klansmen. We don't have police literally kneeling on people's necks in the street. And yeah, I'm pretty sure the U.S. probably wins the award on the worst. But I don't feel like, I feel like there are a lot of like your white Europeans who are tweeting like, oh, we don't have racism because we don't have that. When mm-hmm. I'm sure that's not the case. Oh, yeah. They're all talking out their asses and they know it. <laughs> and like European racism relies on that. It relies on, you know, Britain in particular exports this very idealized version of what it means to be British and to be a person of color in Britain. Mm -hmm. But then you have situations like, for example, Prince Harry marrying Meghan Markle, where Mm -hmm. the mask comes off and the world is horrified, like, what are they doing over there? And we're all like, yes, it's been like this all along. You just couldn't see it. They are Mm. horrible here. But in a very subtle way, because obviously the racism of every country kind of matches that country's culture. Mm-hmm. So we have very like polite, politically correct racism. <laughs> and if, very if loud someone, racism here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, if someone is racist here, you you aren't supposed to say anything or be upset by it because that's impolite of you mm-hmm. to cause a fuss. Um, mm-hmm. But. Yeah, it's always been terrible here. When my mum was a kid, she sat on the roof of the flats where she lived and watched the race riots. And now I'm about her age and I'm watching the protests happening and it's still the same thing. And nothing has really changed. And I feel like it's the same story all over the world. I really do. Because it's all, now more than ever, all the systems are interconnected and they all rely on several things. And one of those things is racism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're seeing that. Yeah. And it does feel cyclical. I was mm. watching like a really old episode of like, I think it was Martin, like 90s mm-hmm. sitcom. And they're like joking about like Rodney King. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's not like this is the first time police brutality or violence against black people has been caught on video. Yeah, it, it's we're doing the same thing. And there were riots and protests in L.A. And mm-hmm. did anything really change? I don't I don't think so. Mm, It seems like like every couple of years we have to run another campaign to get some slave owner's name taken off a street sign or whatever. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, you're constantly asking for these things and they kind of throw you a bone every so often, but they're not Mm -hmm. addressing the fact that the same like the same bloodlines who 
decided that slavery was okay when they were in parliament, their grandsons are still in parliament right now. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's not being addressed. And that's mm-hmm. why nothing's really changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's it's definitely been interesting, like the past few weeks, um, you know, kind of this very symbolic reckoning, it feels like. Let's put up a black square on yeah. our Instagram. Let's change oh, our yes. to black and white. Let's all celebrate Juneteenth. But if you're black, you still have to work. And it's just... <laughs> It's just mind-boggling in the middle of a pandemic. It's like, oh, here's another thing going on. Mm. Um, But I think one interesting thing, at least for me, now that social media is around um, and that we are a little bit more connected, is reaching out to other people in the diaspora and seeing that our experiences aren't so different. Um, Mm. And that's just, I think we get... As a culture here in the U.S., we kind of tend to be focused on ourselves. If you haven't told, been, you know, seen that, or if you don't know that stereotype <laughs> about us, um, and then I think also um, being black in America, it's very much, um, you know, familial. It's very much like the people who are connected to you. The stories that we tell about blackness in America are um, kind of narrow. Um, and, you know, who is Black? What is Black experience? And I think one thing in doing this podcast and really trying to reach out and read more broadly Mm -hmm. um, that I've enjoyed is just expanding my definition of what Blackness looks like, not just, um, you know, the range of Blackness for Black Americans, but globally. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I kind of I know I'm skipping around a little bit, but I kind of wanted to also tie that to, um, you know, your experience writing um, diversity in other ways. So neurodiversity, Mm. religious. Um, I think that we probably don't, and I'm saying like me and Danielle, one thing that I would like to do more is read more. um, You know, we started off with reading what's coming out on the New York Times. Here's a Black author. Then mm-hmm. we said, well, that's not really everything. Then we started reading more genre. Now we want to start reading like more globally. But there's always ways that I think we can expand. Um, so I just, it was very interesting to read um, from this perspective of someone with a disability. And it kind of highlighted to me a blind spot in my own reading that I think I need to work on. Yeah, Yeah. it's about those other experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, because blackness itself is like diverse. You know, we talk about diversity in terms of racial diversity, but then within blackness, there's ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, and then you have like queer black people, disabled black people, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So you, you can never really run out of things to learn about and experience and empathize with. And it sort of also goes back to that other argument get, that gets made with publishing was like when they do tell the black stories, it's sort of the same one over and over. Mm-hmm. It's like there was a really great essay that came out and I think, oh, I forgot their names. I'm really bad with author names, but I believe it was the author of A Blade So Black. Oh, and there was another one. I'll put it in the show notes, but they were basically talking about like why it's important for black joy to be written in stories, too. 
because, mm-hmm. you know, when you've got young readers who only get to read about, like, that's what I grew up. If you read a black story, it was like Addie. A struggle. And, yeah, a slave. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like, yay. And how that kind of does something to you to only read about, you know, the suffering. You don't get to be like the romance hero or the mythical hero or, you know, just the superhero. You don't get those stories. And it really kind of does something to you. Yeah, definitely. I, I believe the author of A Blade So Black is Elle McKinney. Yes. Is like a great Twitter follow because she discusses so many things like that and she always makes me think or like say something that I've been feeling but maybe I'm not as great at tweeting and so haven't said or been able to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I feel like what she's talking about, it's really improving in publishing but when you look at like film and TV, yes. mm-hmm. they are so behind on it. Like um, Jordan Peele is... Super, even though I hate horror films and I can't, I can't watch them, I'm still like so in awe of everything he's doing because he's doing whatever the hell he wants to do while black, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. casting black actors to be doing just whatever while black, and that is something where like something that's been absent. And if you're a black actor and you're not in like a black film directed and produced by a black pioneer or one that's made solely for black audiences, then it's probably going to be a slavery film. Mm-hmm. And yes. And it's going to be like African-American slavery as well, mm-hmm. um, which is just something that I notice so much because like um, because of like my Jamaican relatives who tell me stories about slavery, how slavery used to be in Jamaica and like legends of how things happened in that region of the world historically. And I never see that reflected in film or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been like rereading yeah. Wide Sargasso Sea since I was like 12. And that's that's my lot. <laughs> That's a really, really good point. Like, and I didn't wasn't aware of it till you sort of mentioned it. Yeah, it is very like American South cotton plantation. Mm-hmm. That's what you see, and it's almost like the the idea that anything that deviates from that is unrealistic. Yes, like, historical or contemporary. Yes, like people, you know, historical romance authors who write black or even other people of color. I've seen it with other people of color as well perfectly realistic things not that historical romance technically needs to be realistic but perfectly realistic things and everyone will be like that's not realistic just because it doesn't involve black people being like whipped every day on the plantation other yeah. things did happen yeah. read a book yeah well and like beverly jenkins is like that's why i have to include these page-long exactly. bibliographies in my exactly mm-hmm. because just to bring those receipts even though when you're reading her books, you can, like, I feel like you can tell this is the work of a meticulous historian. Every tiny detail in her books, her world building is incredible, but obviously it's a real world that's just in our past. Mm-hmm. So, like, the first book I read of hers, I was reading it like, wow, I feel so informed because I didn't know a lot about American history, just in general. And then mm-hmm. when I saw kind of all her citations in her author's notes, and I was like, okay, so I can tell that people have been coming at her saying prove it prove it mm-hmm. and it just gets on my nerves so badly because there's so many reading English historical romances I read them and even with my basic school knowledge of English history I'm like that's wrong that's terribly <laughs> wrong and no one cares about that it's just the most outrageous double standard mm-hmm. yeah yeah I feel like with U.S. history everyone was slaves and then with European history everyone was white yeah, yeah. <laughs> white and a duke. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. So it's, I feel like it's getting better, but I would just like it 
to get better faster. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just frustrated. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, hundreds of years. <laughs> get it together. <laughs> um, can we talk a little bit about um, maybe one more topic from the book, social media and modern <laughs> Because I love the setup for this book. <laughs> I loved all the fake tweets and like Twitter <laughs> accounts. Like I am a sucker for that because it's just so. Because that's what exactly what would happen. There would be a hashtag, mm-hmm. and after rugby is rugby rugby. That was exa- that's great. That's perfect. I love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I worked really hard on that part. <laughs> <laughs> I was sat for ages, like, what should this account be called? Beyonce's bangs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that that that'd be great. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it and I mean this like as flatteringly as I can. Like it, it read like someone who spends time on the internet, <laughs> and I loved it because we are both very online. <laughs> and but it felt like online and hip. Like those those are some Gen Z accounts. Like they yeah. they know what's up. Well, the kids kept taking the phone and tweeting, and I was like, yes, that, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like, I was a little mad at like Zav because he's like, how do I turn off the push notifications? I was like, okay, sir. Like, <laughs> You're such an old man. You are. Like, uh, but yeah, I think, I love how a lot of like modern romances are sort of exploring like social media and like online dating because like that's the reality I'm dealing with. That's like, yeah. if I may be presumptuous, that's the reality Molly dealt with because she met her mm-hmm. husband. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. But like I, I, I've noticed that like um, there was Alicia Rye with Girl Gone Viral, and then I recently read The Boyfriend Project by Farah Rashon, which in which it starts with. Did you read that? I have to read that one. Oh, it's that so was... good. Ooh, I have it downloaded for a long drive. I have to take. <laughs> <laughs> so like the heroine finds out via a Twitter thread. This is like the premise of the book, so I feel like I'm not spoiling it. She (laughs) finds out via like a Twitter thread that someone else is on a date with the guy that she's seeing. And that just felt like, it felt like such a thing that would actually happen, like someone live tweeting a terrible date and you're reading the tweets and being like, wait (laughs) a second. (laughs) I think it has, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Probably, I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, I don't know, like you know, your experience with like dating and being online or online dating that, or if any of that inspired the book? My dating history is so boring. I met a guy in history class um, <laughs> with him to this day. It's <laughs> But I did actually, like our first interaction was me DMing him on Twitter. So even though we were in the same class. So then we have <laughs> I was like, did you catch the homework? I knew the homework. It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that's still, that's super cute. And like, that's just how it is now. We're not, we're not waiting by a phone. We're checking our DMs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, I can't imagine if I actually had to date someone solely in real life. I'd always have to be like going somewhere to see them. Put on a bra. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> it's exhausting. Uh, well, and then with the pandemic, like I signed up for Match, and then like two weeks later, the city was like everything shut down, and I was like, well, oh shit. god. 
So I was like, well, and I just took it as a sign from the Lord. And he's like, yeah, you're just, just stop trying. So that he brought was your... a whole plague. He brought a whole plague to get me to st- just stop. Oh my gosh. So I was like, okay, I can take a hit. So is this a weird question to ask? Do your parents read your books? And if they do, do they ever like give you feedback about things like the sexy parts? Because I have to feel like that's got to be a a weird position to be in when you're a romance writer who writes sex scenes. Absolute horror of that (laughs) idea. I think I've just frozen in my chair. Good God. No, my parents do not read my book. I actually, I have a very traditional African mother who... (laughs) to this day does not know that I read romance, right? She even now realises that I write it, but she is in denial that I've ever read it. (laughs) I was going to say, like, does she know what you do? (laughs) She knows, but all my, like, my bookshelves full of romance novels, she's, like, very smart, genre research, and I'm like, yeah, (laughs) research. (laughs) I imagine that's where the illustrated covers come in handy. Come in handy. I don't enjoy sexual content. What? (laughs) (laughs) So she is not allowed to read my books. She has a whole bookshelf filled with my books where she can be like, look at my daughter. But she's never read them. Um, And that's how it's going to stay. My dad does not know that I write books at all. Um, (laughs) He thinks that I am an editor. He's seen my books. He believes that I have edited them. Um, That seems like a really difficult con as your name is on the book. (laughs) Well, actually, the first name that I write under is not my legal name. And with the Ah, last name, I said to him, isn't it such a coincidence they have our last name? And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) can I ask you? And I I don't mean to be presumptuous. But do you think maybe this is an agreement you both have? So he doesn't have to know about the romance. He's like, yes, yes, that is strange. Dad, I, I didn't write these books. Look into my eyes. And he was like, I'm looking. I understand. I will never question this. And we're both happy in the arrangement. Oh my gosh. I love that. Adorable. I love it. But my, my aunts read my books and my older sister reads my books. We just have an agreement not to discuss it. <laughs> I, I asked that because I think I read like a Tessa Dare dedication page once and she was mm. like, to dad, don't read chapter seven. <laughs> I think I actually saw her like talking about that the other day and she said that like I think the book that she dedicated to him is the only one he's read. And because it was dedicated to him, she knew he was going to read it. So she had to be like, you can't read this, this, or this. <laughs> like, ever since then, I've been like, ooh, how do you work around that? <laughs> I have my own. Yeah, I don't think everyone is like me. I think it's just my very specific family dynamics. <laughs> the thought of discussing it with my parents makes me want to die. It's just <laughs> happening. <laughs> I, I like I love that Zaff reads romances. I love that's a thing that's happening in the books now. It's like we've got men reading romance and showing men reading romance because that's not a thing you see a lot. And an audiobook, which I appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, the reason why I did that is because I I have some readers who are men and I am friends with some amazing romance authors who are men and 
there's this whole thing as well that I've been thinking about a lot where obviously gay romance is a huge genre but a lot of it is written by straight women and Mm -hmm. it just seems to me like there should be more opportunities for men in romance in general but especially there um so I was like yeah men do read romance some men also write epic romance we should this should be out there so I just felt like it would be cool to have Zaf use romance to cope (laughs) relatable I get it Zaf was there anything else? I'm trying to be cognizant of your time, but I could keep talking about romance fiction all day. Yeah. Like, we don't want to burden you, but we, we usually record for like three straight hours. We can't, we can't go. <laughs> wow. And I also know it's very late where you are. Yeah. I, well, that's why I thought we were wrong because I Googled it and Google said it was only 8 p.m. there. And I was like, oh no, we're early. But then you popped on. So I was like, okay, I guess Google's full of lies. So. I mean, she doesn't want black people to be great. (laughs) (laughs) I think Google doesn't know that um, the time changes depending on the season. Oh, okay. See, this is... We're too messy for these interviews. (laughs) We're doing our best, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) We had to do the one with Beverly Jenkins, and I think that was an hour ahead. And I was like, okay, now I'm juggling three time zones. This is a lot, so... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, telling time is hard. Like, I saw one of those old clocks. I don't know if you guys had this where you tell time and it had the face on it, you had to wind it. And I just mm. was filled with, like, hatred seeing it, so. <laughs> we actually just, like, bought a clock for the kitchen because it looked really nice, but it doesn't have any numbers on it. And I was forcibly reminded that I cannot tell the time at the best <laughs> times. And, like, without the numbers, I am lost. Mm-hmm. And boyfriend's like, what time is it? And I'm like... Damned if I know. No mm-hmm. idea. <laughs> we have one of those hating ass clocks. <laughs> doing there? It has no numbers. <laughs> I, like to job. I like to hang out with my niece and see like what life skills she's actually learning. Like I don't think she knows about like hard currency because everything's on a card. Mm-hmm. She she doesn't know how to remember phone numbers because everything's on a button. She doesn't know how to tell time on an analog clock. I'm like, oh, the youths. Yeah. Did you see that video going around where a guy said to his son, like, make a gesture like you're on the phone. And instead of doing like the phone thing with his hand, his son just put his palm against his yeah. ear. The flat that of it. So yeah. weird. <laughs> My mind is blown. I don't like it. My youngest niece doesn't even understand the concept of like an audio only phone call because she's so mm-hmm. used to FaceTime. My so God. if you call her just like on a phone, she gets upset because she can't see you (laughs) (laughs) that's so cute it's like no sweetie this is this is we're going back this is just a phone call but it's still on the phone so it's really throwing her off i mean here we were making fun of zaf and (laughs) (laughs) i know (laughs) it's come back to bite us (laughs) we're all dinosaurs oh that was also i was glad to see he was not like 22 i've read so many romances where the heroes are like or the heroes and heroines, where both the couple are like young, early 20s. And I've noticed the trend that we're getting some older heroes and heroines. And I'm like, thank you. It means there's still hope. It's weird because obviously when I started publishing, I was 21 and I didn't want anyone to know that I was 21. So I was like, I'm going to write people who are older than me. And mm-hmm. then I only then did I notice that actually a lot of the characters were my age. Which <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, oh, but by then it was too late. I had gotten used to it. Yeah. 
Well, he felt like someone in his 30s. He did. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I appreciate these older heroes and heroines. They're established in their careers. They're like, I, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so is there anything else that you would want to share or plug or um, talk about? Like I said, we want to be respectful of your time, which is a Zoom term that I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> but we could talk forever. So yeah. Um, I think I'm definitely, I definitely feel like I should say that the third book in the Brown Sister series is coming out in spring 2021. I believe it's coming out in March and it's called Act Your Age, Eve Brown. And it's the youngest Brown Sister Eve story. And it's a hate to love, false proximity, (gasps) boss employee romance where she hits someone with her car and then she has to help him run his bed and breakfast because (laughs) he's broken his wrist and he can't do it on his own. Uh, (laughs) I feel like I should put that out there. I'm already sold. How much breakfast is in this? (laughs) How often are they eating breakfast? (laughs) There is a bit where she, oh, I'm giving spoilers now, but let's just say there's feeding and we'll just leave it. (laughs) <laughs> we had a really long conversation about feeding with Mocha Girl Reed, so really, you're gonna have. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about our other conversations we had involving food and sex, thanks to um, uh, addicted. We talk about food and sex entirely too often, Danielle. <laughs> the food is sexy <laughs> until it's not, and some of the. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, until there's nacho cheese sauce on your dick at the movie theater. Oh my god. <laughs> and like at that point there should just be first degree burns and it just oh, loses. God. At that point everyone's just going to the hospital, the emergency room. <laughs> that scene has traumatized me. Um yeah. So we also like to end by asking by saying what we're reading. So mm-hmm. what have you been reading? Oh god, this is difficult. Every time someone asks me what I've been reading, my goes blank and I've never read a book before. Um, oh same, same. But I am lucky enough to be reading an advanced copy of The Jezebel by Dylan Allen and it's blowing my mind. It's got like a like a cool timeline shift thing like there's not like time traveling or anything it's just like a very windy story so you start at one point in the story and then you go back and then you jump forward and then you're in the present again um and it's ripping my heart out, to be honest, but I'm just holding tight because I know it's going to be good and gooey and super, super romantic because that's what Dylan Allen does. So that's a ton of fun. That's a romance roller coaster. Ooh, I like the word gooey, too, to describe. <laughs> like, I get it. It's warm and soft. And yeah. What have you been reading, Wally? Um, so Danielle has said I've been going through a tutor phase. So I'm finishing <laughs> up with this biography of Queen Elizabeth for some reason. Um, <laughs> that's great to listen to right before I go to bed. <laughs> and then I just got um, Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Cosby, which is a Southern um, kind of like uh, old school style uh, uh, thriller, crime thriller with like mm. a Black Southern twist. So I've been seeing it everywhere. I'm really excited about that. Cool. Ooh, I love it. And I would never say you're going through a tutor phase as an insult. Everyone I've known has gone through, <laughs> including me. I, I don't, it was just all of a sudden, like the library was like, here's a book. And then I was, I was knee deep in it. 
my time with them is coming to an end. So next time I'll have some a different answer for you, Danielle. <laughs> it was a wild, it was a wild series of events. Um, so I'm still, I'm not even, Molly knows I have been trying to read This Is How You Win the Time War for almost two months now, oh, maybe three. amazing things about that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, do you not like it? I don't, but. I feel like it's, I don't want to bash on a book, but I feel like the language is really pretty and the setup is really nice, but the actual story and the plot isn't working for me. Like, it's not coming together. So, but I also heard that the ending is real. like, there's like something that happens at the end that's sort of twisted up. And if I could just get there, maybe my entire opinion will change. But at this point, I'm sort of, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to like, I feel really bad now. I don't want to like diffuse your excitement for it. <laughs> No, no, because like, I mean, some I think my books are really nice, but some people hate them. So <laughs> some books just aren't for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. So like, I think I like I like the setup and like the time war concept is really cool. It just yeah. But I also need to get to the end. I've also just started Bomb by Dolan Perkins Valdez. She wrote mm. Wench, so I had finally read Wench, and I was like, let me finish this other one. There's so few like books, like pretty dress black people books where it's like a historical mm. book and it's just got somebody in a big poofy dress yeah. and this one apparently involves magic so I'm really excited to finish it mm. so yeah that's what I've been reading and I think that's an episode this was a lot of fun this was, it was. Fun. It was super fun <laughs> I had well, a great time yeah we appreciate you speaking with us staying up late um adding some class to this audio like, barely. Bog, bog, something. You know what? <laughs> she already forgot the slang. That was going to be using it all the time, too. That's bog standard. Bog standard. <laughs> <laughs> when you said bog, I was like, is she talking about a toilet? But then I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning so much today. <laughs> Hey y'all, thank you for joining us. We had a lot of fun with this episode. Um, just to follow up, doing our normal housekeeping, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Black Chick Lit. You can also follow us on Instagram at BCL Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, reviews, whatever, you can send them to contact at blackchicklit.com. As always, we'd like to thank our patrons for their support. Thank you, Jennifer, Ancela, Therese, Melissa, Catherine, Katie, Emily, Latoya, Ali, Kat, Montera, Maria, Adoria, Frank, Ellen, Sylvia, Brianna, and the I Found This Great Book podcast. Thank you all so much for your support. We would be able to pay for servers and books and all the other things we need to do this podcast without your help. Um, if you would like to help us in a non-financial way, please be sure to leave a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out. We'd also like to thank Sweet 45 for use of our theme song, Jonesin. If you like what you hear, you can find more by visiting them on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash sweet45. That's sweet, S-U-I-T-E 45. Um, that's it for us this episode. We'll be back hopefully with another interview. We've got some things in the works, so... Thanks for your thanks for sticking with us guys and stay safe. Bye.